a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. I'm your host, Rebecca Cressman, and I'm so delighted to bring in a fantastic, strong woman named Katie Wilkie. Now, Katie Wilkie, you can actually find her. She's a blogger. She shares her stories online at katiewilkie.com. Katie, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. First of all, spell your last name or your first and last so we know where it's at. So it's K-A-T-I-E-W-I-L-K-I-E. So focus on the I-E's. Yep, for the first That's right. and the last. When did you start your blog? Um, I started blogging a couple of years ago and started on YouTube um, and then have revamped everything recently. So everything there is pretty much new besides all the YouTube videos. So just Well, there are a lot of different of YouTubes out there. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of bloggers out there. You have one in particular that focuses on mental health mm-hmm. and speaking its truth and mm-hmm. getting rid of... Um, the stigma, the fears. So let's talk about that. So at one point you decided, I've got to open my story up. Yeah, yeah. It was after I was hospitalized in 2016 for a manic bipolar episode. And um, yeah, I just got really passionate at that point and thought, you know, there's there should be more awareness in the community. I feel like more people should be able to know about this and talk about it freely as opposed to feeling scared about it. And so that's when I started deciding to volunteer more actively and to speak out on social media, on YouTube and blogging. And there are not a lot of people that are talking about, is the correct terminology manic bipolar disorder or what's the correct terminology? Um, So it's called bipolar disorder. There's a few different types. And then manic episode is within that is an experience within bipolar disorder. So yeah, it used to be called manic depression. That was like in the 70s. And that's so that. 1970s, <laughs> 1980s. And yeah, but bipolar disorder is the correct term. So what is a bipolar disorder? Mm-hmm. Bipolar disorder is a mental illness. It's a disorder of the brain. Um, not everything is understood about it, but it essentially includes the high moods and the low moods. So depression, most people understand what that entails. Um, the really low mood, that's where suicidality can come into play. But then with bipolar disorder, you also have present the potential for higher moods, which we call mania, or on the lesser side, hypomania, just another form of mania, which is lots of energy, and it can include um, things like really fast talking and um, just like Hyper, I so it's guess, like a hyper awareness, like a sustained energy burst. Yeah, where exactly. Most, most people who may not have bipolar disorder may feel bursts of adrenaline. Oh, I got a lot done this mm-hmm. last hour and a half. Mm-hmm. So you extend a manic period, and it could be hours. Hours? Can, can it be days? Days, wow. weeks, uh-huh. sometimes, and you go with very little sleep. Um, it, in a full blown manic episode, it can be you know two hours of sleep a night. You don't feel like you need sleep. Um, you have like a heightened sense of self. You think you're like on top of the world. And then this is also where in a full-blown magnetic episode is where things like delusions can come into play and psychosis. And those are the things people normally associate with like a severe mental illness, the more severe type. So. Now, if we step back for just a bit, which is what we've been doing, um, we've had an initiative that we've joined with partners from all across the state called Healthy Mind Matters. Mm. And uh, we've been trying to help 
us all look at our brain like we look at the rest of our body. It's a yeah. complicated system that can have problems. It can have uh, misfires. It can have diseases. It can, and those um, challenges can affect our behavior, our um, our feelings, our emotions. And so once we start looking at it as, as mental health, mm-hmm. how is our thought process, how are our brains functioning and moderating our emotions, we stop um, maybe feeling that sense of shame and guilt and fear. We, yeah. we look at, we just need this to be treated. So as I hear you describe bipolar disorder, I'm thinking of a brain for some reason, we don't know if it's all chemical, sure. but it's swinging mm-hmm. from one point highs to lows mm-hmm. and to get to that moderated place is where you want to be, but right. you're not in control of when you're there. Um, definitely am in more control when um, receiving treatment. Okay. So for sure. And I love that approach of thinking of it as just as the rest of our body, the rest of our health. That's the same thing with our minds. And that's 100% for me as well. You know, I do live with a, what I guess people would call a severe mental illness because it is one of the like the very rare ones. 2.6%, I think. So 98% US. of people in the United States don't don't deal with bipolar disorder. Okay. Right. Sure. So I'm, I'm one of those very few, but um, but it's definitely manageable for me. I live most of my life and I go about most of my days kind of as if it didn't exist simply because I have received the best treatment available and I continue to be vigilant and aware of, um, like you said, my emotions, my moods, how these things manifest in my brain, in my life, in my interactions with others. And so because of that, because of all the different treatment options that are available to me and that I make use of and because of family support, I am able to live with basically treating this mental illness and being able to live a normal life. Quote well, and, and, you know, we've worked so hard to make a parallel with something like diabetes, which is sure. an autoimmune disease often. Mm-hmm. And it's not like it's something that people are bringing upon themselves. You're right. It is something that within the body, mm-hmm. it needs to be chemically corrected. Right. In addition exactly. to behavior modification. So mm-hmm. you not only have to make sure you know what your insulin levels are, mm-hmm. but you need to know what your physical activities as well as the food that you eat will affect that level. So you're kind yeah. of doing that on a bigger scale absolutely. to preserve your mental health. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a good analogy to, to compare mental illness to something like diabetes or um, yeah, other um, things like that, other health disorders. So when you are sharing your blogs, mm-hmm. you're, um, are you hearing back from others who have this disorder or they mm-hmm. are married to someone, they've got a daughter? Tell me about that community. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Um, so I have, I share this in my personal network, so just on my personal social media. So I have people that I hear back from in that arena. And then I also hear back from people elsewhere who maybe I just um, meet online, so I don't know them in person. I hear from both. Um, and um, lately I've been hearing a lot more in my personal network because I've just barely recently posted it on my personal social media, which is something new for me. On your in- um, Instagram, on, on your On my Facebook page. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's really, that's been really cool. I hear, um, I get lots of private messages from friends and acquaintances telling me, oh, wow, yes, I have this present in my life or I have a family member who struggles with this. And it's a range of different mental illnesses, whether that's OCD. I hear from people with bipolar disorder, depression, postpartum depression, um, anxiety, things like that. And same thing in the, you know, the wider internet, there are always people who will comment and who will send messages and kind of 
share stories, I guess. People get excited when they hear that other people have the same experience that they do, especially when most people don't talk about it. Yeah, because it's isolating, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we come into this world and and I'm I'm not going to say my age, but I'm going to say I got a few decades behind me. And we we just don't have all the information on how to move forward in our life. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some basic information that we're given from our parents, but when we have more complicated uh, challenges and curves thrown our way, it's not like you went and got a PhD in psychology. <laughs> so you would have known neither your husband or your supportive family. So mm-hmm. we it's a learning education process on yeah. how to identify these problems, how to find the best treatment, yeah. how to be supportive. Absolutely. Yeah. And it can I, be difficult when the information isn't coming at you from friends and acquaintances. You have to really seek it out and know where to look. And a lot of people don't know where to get the information they need. You mentioned so many people are reaching out with lots of different um, mental health challenges. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about anxiety. And I wish I had the statistic in my hand right now. But anxiety is the most common mental health issue for everyone in the country. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. so prevalent. Mm-hmm. And so there is a good chance if you haven't identified it yet or been diagnosed yet or been treated yet that someone in your immediate family has struggled with anxiety. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be a struggle with you forever. It may be a period of time where your mental health is under duress or stress or whatever it may be, where mm-hmm. you start to experience the symptoms of mental health. And yeah. we might not know, again, what you know, how to recognize right. and where to go. So what kind of advice do you share? Or is it more about this is my personal experience, Katie? Um, I hesitate to share lots of advice, but I'm always eager to share resources that I found and um, pr- best practices from my own life. So, yeah, the most common is anxiety. I think it's something like 18%. Yes. And then um, depression follows after somewhere there. Um, But for anyone who starts to notice things like that, that's the first thing you want to be able to notice. I think, like, um, maybe just go and look and see what are the normal signs of anxiety and stress and depression and these things. And then when you see that come up in your life, I would say, like, don't be afraid of it, but know where to look for help. You can talk to just a regular doctor and um, just a regular family doctor can give you advice. And if you, if they see that you need additional help, then they can refer you to um, psychologists and specialists and counselors and things like that. That's like a very basic first line of defense. Well, a issue. psychologist um, spoke with me uh, a number of months ago and she said, you know, life can be so full of joy and happiness, happiness and experiences. But when you are um, trying to push through anxiety, trying to push through depression, especially on your own, you pull yourself back and you start to experience less and less of what is joyful in life. Mm-hmm. And you start to not be able to even recognize that those experiences are good for you. And, and so the, the further along the road we are mm-hmm. in, in these um, mental health um, diagnosis or disorders or challenges, um, the harder it can feel to get help. But each step brings us closer, further, or closer to that sense of enjoying life fully. And she said, that's my goal that's is cool. to be able to help someone reach that point where there's they're tapped in to relationships. Yeah. They're tapped into work again. They're tapped into experiencing joy. Mm-hmm. Do you mind sharing? You said that you, this, the, the blog, katiewilkie.com, K-D-I-E, Wilkie, 
IE.com. It was born from a personal experience of your mm-hmm. hospitalization in 2016. Mm-hmm. So can you take us up to before the hospitalization? Did you, were you aware of bipolar disorder? Did you know that that was a challenge of yours? Yeah. So my original um, diagnosis came a few years before my hospitalization. Um, I'll tr- I won't go into a lot of details. <laughs> my first manic episode happened at 16, but I wasn't diagnosed at that point um, because simply because we didn't know what mental illnesses weren't aware. So it took about six years um, before I was diagnosed. Um, and then at that point, I was diagnosed simply because I watched a good friend of mine go through a similar episode and was like, oh my goodness, this is what I went through. And so a friend recommended me to go into a psychiatrist and get diagnosed, which was great, but I still didn't have the full awareness that I needed. I was like, okay, well, I've lived for six years and, you know, I haven't had any severe issues since, so I'm probably fine. (laughs) So I didn't, I wasn't very vigilant. And so after my diagnosis, about three years later, leading up to that was when um, I had started to have manic symptoms um, and didn't really take them into as much of account as I should have, didn't communicate them to my husband. I was just getting very involved in projects, lots of that energy, all those things. And you're very creative. Yes. Mm -hmm. It always comes out in all these creative avenues. Um, And so, and then once I started or once I stopped sleeping, there was a couple of days period where I didn't get any sleep. And then that's where the, it got really severe and I had to be hospitalized for the manic episode. Um, And that's where I I stayed in the hospital for about a week and received treatment from um, doctors, psychiatrists, um, social workers, and was given medication in order to rehabilitate me. And then I was able to be released. So that was kind of the leading up to my experience in the hospital um, at that point, at least. Was was that a sobering moment? And I'm going (laughs) to share something personally. I actually saw a video that you shared Mm -hmm. that you taped when you were in the hospital. Oh, right. Or, or right after. Um, yeah, shortly right after, after probably. Mm-hmm. And that's my my first thought was what courage, <laughs> what courage you have. And then number two, um, what compassion you have to be open up your personal story um, and share it with others. I mean, because because that that can be very frightening. Yeah. To have your world changed and oh, to absolutely. be hospitalized. It yeah. can be very scary to be in the throes of a mental illness. Yeah. I'm grateful that most people don't experience that. But a lot more people than I think we're aware of do experience those things. It can be scary when you don't know what's happening. You don't know um, and that you don't know that it's treatable and that like it's not going to la- be that way forever. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So tell me about that, because you said you've shared some of these and I know you'll continue to share these on the blog mm-hmm. and uh, as you manage, because as I mentioned, very creative, very artistic, talented mother, <laughs> happily married woman. Um, and so we use the term high functioning. She's, you know, she's <laughs> yeah. who a lot of us want to be. And and yet it's because of your vigilance and your treatment. So can you share a little bit about um, when you say treatment? Yeah. What's the difference between seeing, for example, a general practitioner and seeing mm-hmm. a psychiatrist when you're um, trying to heal and manage a mental health disorder? Sure. Um, the difference between seeing a psychiatrist and a, did you say family doctor? Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of the psychiatrist knows a lot more, obviously, about mental illness and the mental health conditions. And so um, I always recommend if you do have uh, or if someone does have a mental illness, that's, you know, that they see a psychiatrist if possible. Family doctor can 
prescribed medication and can help. But they obviously, um, they oversee a wide range of difficulties in a person's health. So, um, so I see a psychiatrist on a regular basis. Um, and the psychiatrist assesses my history, takes into account um, everything that I've gone through, all of my experiences, what my symptoms have been, makes sure that my diagnosis is correct and accurate, and then pre- can prescribe medication based on my needs and my personal situation. And then I also regularly see a therapist, and my therapist um, happens to be a psychologist. There's different kinds of therapists you can see. Um, but I go to behavior talk therapy on a regular basis, which I love. That's, I think, probably the best um, or that's one of the biggest reasons for my success on a regular basis is that I have a chance to debrief with my psychologist and talk about, um, you know, what's been going on in my moods and in all of that and regulating behavior so, talk therapy. Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, if you haven't had a family member, uh, receive treatment or if you yourself haven't received treatment for a mental health challenge, uh, an illness or a disorder, you might not be aware that psychological treatment has changed a lot. And in the last 15 years or so, there's been a greater emphasis on helping us change our behavior, our choices to help um, as we're managing uh, mental health issue. So when we hear behavior therapy or behavior modification therapy, um, that's one strand of the t- a type of therapy that's being used now very effectively mm-hmm. to help people. So behavior talk therapy, you are sharing your personal experiences and and how you resolve them. Is it mm-hmm. similar Getting to that? that? Yeah. Hopefully mm-hmm. I'm using the term right, behavior talk therapy. It's talk therapy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah it basically, I, it's where I sit down with my therapist and yeah, I go over my experiences over the past month or so and we talk about any triggers that I've had. We talk about any negative experiences, high moods, low moods, other things that have come into play. And then um, he'll gently guide the conversation towards new uh, strategies that I can use to manage my moods, new ideas for implementing different, you know, those different strategies in my life. And then we just kind of go over, you know, what support I have, what I can rely on, other strategies that I have in practice. Yeah, it's great. It actually feels like everybody needs one of those. Oh, everybody should everybody should go and see a therapist at least once a year. But, but um, you differentiate. I know that you have a very supportive family and mm-hmm. a very supportive husband. Right. But talking to them is different, right, than talking to a therapist because that therapist can do... Yeah, the therapist has a whole breadth and depth of knowledge related specifically to mental health conditions and sees, you know, tons of clients who deal with these disorders, has seen past success stories and knows so much more um, than a family member would, where a family member does provide very crucial support in terms of moral support, you know, helping you feel like you're okay, they're there for you, you know, that support in my life has been absolutely crucial. But yes, the, the therapist provides support that is unmatched by the family, for sure. It's definitely um, needed treatment, I think, in my situation. Okay, and so you have the psychiatrist that you see that helps monitor... <laughs> Just for medication. Medication. Mm-hmm. They'll say, okay, how are you feeling about this? Are you being productive here? Mm-hmm. Are you thinking clearly? Those kind of thoughts about how's that brain functioning yeah. doing right now. <laughs> Therapist about your day-to-day experiences and mm-hmm. how to be successful. And then what do you do individually when you're outside of those um, appointments to try to preserve your health? The primary thing for me uh, with bipolar disorder is sleep. And I know this is common to many different mental health conditions. Sleep for me is crucial. So that's my number one line of defense. If I am sleeping, uh, you know, my eight 
to 10 hours a night. <laughs> For me, that's important. And if as long as I'm sleeping, I am usually pretty good to go. And then other than that, um, I make sure I'm taking the medication that I've agreed um, is going to help my situation. I make sure that um, I am communicating with my husband anything that may come up in my mood or in my emotions that seems abnormal. We talk about it and debrief about it. And then, you know, I make sure that you know, I'm just kind of on track. It's just kind of like being on a road and like sometimes you hit the rumble strip on the side. That could be like a day that I have like, oh, I felt a little off today. Let's maybe talk about it and just get right back on track. So I man, I manage my moods and my emotions in that way and just be very aware of what's going on. I love the symbolism, the rumble strip. Yeah. Because many of us pass that rumble stick uh, strip and we we ignore the rumble yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and we're over whether or not uh, we've received treatment um, that we should. We have about five minutes left. And Katie, I wanted to bring you up because I wanted you to know um, how powerful I feel um, your blog is, um, whether millions of people are clicking on there or whether thousands are clicking. It's about the power of your story. So what would what is your overall goal? of sharing katiewilkie.com and your personal experiences on social media? My goal is just to provide a voice of hope and hopefully healthy living and demonstrating that mental illness doesn't have to be scary. And to me, it doesn't matter as much if millions of people read it. It's more the one, two, six, twelve people who message me and tell me their experience. You know, just those few people that um, I'm able to reach is awesome for me. I just want to show people that, hey, this is not as bad as people think it is. Um, We don't have to support these stigmas against mental illness because there's treatment for it. You know, it's um, it's not everything you see in the movies. The depictions of untreated mental illness are often what are perpetuated, which is unfortunate. That increases stigma. But hopefully by me showing, this is my life, this is what I do to manage, people can see, oh, this is treatable, And then hopefully there will be a more favorable perspective towards mental illness so that more people can get treatment when they need it. And to see, you know, I can actually live a successful life, even if I have this challenge. Both how we see ourselves if we have uh, a mental health um, crisis or mental health uh, problem and both how other people see us. Right. So Mm -hmm, it's, it's changing the entire perspective of all of us who were involved in each other's lives because it has, mm-hmm. it took, when they talked about um, cancer, mm-hmm. you know, years ago when I was born, people still whispered about cancer and didn't talk openly about it. Mm-hmm. And as we talked more openly about it and got more support for it and we researched more information, we started to become more aware people, fewer people are dying of cancer yeah. because we're catching it early. And I've heard shared with me from a psychiatrist that um, mental health um, is often um, much more easy to heal from when we catch it early. So um, you mentioned you were experiencing at the age of 16. It's really common between the ages of 16 and I believe 26, somewhere in there, to to have those hormones all gather together and start showing Mm -hmm. um, signs of of mental health problems. And, And so getting in there early, getting like, as you're describing, that team of support, Mm-hmm. Uh, medically as in terms of therapy and medicine and treatment and support it's it's the key to that successful joyful life absolutely about. yeah catching it early and knowing what to do you know and i also wanted to share you know it's interesting only five percent approximately of people interact and message 
So often we're <laughs> yeah. not aware the silent um, impact a voice like yours yeah. can have as well, because some of us are still dealing with the reality of mental health and, and not able yet to yeah, talk about don't it, want to reach out. but you're bringing those barriers down. Absolutely. com. So how often are you posting blogs? Um, here and there every month, every couple of weeks. It depends on what I have time for, but anytime. Because you have a young daughter. Exactly. <laughs> yep. I've got a little four-year-old. Yeah. And you're expecting another baby yes. soon. So hopefully you'll share a little bit of that with us as yeah. well. The blog is katiewilkie.com. K-A-T-I-E-W-I-L-K-I-E.com. And where can we find you on social media? Um, you can find me at Twitter. I'm uh, thriving beyond or you can just go to my website and all of my social media is linked there as well. So I like that. Thrive and beyond. Thriving beyond. Thriving yeah. beyond <laughs> on Twitter. Katie, thank you so much for what you do and for sharing your story, um, not just today, but on the blogs on katiewilkie.com. Thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. Thank you so much.